art curious, Stories of the Unexpected, Slightly Odd, and Strangely Wonderful in Art History is a brand new book with lots of weird and wildly entertaining stories that haven't been covered on this podcast. Stories like the rise of everybody's favorite painter of the pretty, Claude Monet, and how all those water lilies and haystacks were actually subversive badassery. How some late 19th and early 20th century women may possibly be the first abstract artists. And what do toenail clippings and a chunk of Caroline Kennedy's birthday cake have to do with one of Andy Warhol's most enduring legacies? Art Curious, the book, at our website, artcuriousbook.com. That's artcuriousbook.com. The Art Curious podcast is primarily sponsored by AnchorLight. For more information, please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. I've said it before on the Art Curious podcast, but it bears reiterating. I learn a lot from researching, writing, and producing this show. And I've learned a lot from you listeners, too. I've learned that a really vocal majority of you were super excited that we covered Artemisia Gentileschi's graphic masterpiece in its full and semi-autobiographical detail. I learned that many of you love Rosa Bonheur as deeply as I do. And I loved hearing that lots of you were excited to learn about Hokusai's daughter, the amazing Katsushika Oi, as I was, especially since she was an artist thoroughly unknown to me only a couple of years prior. Well, the same thing has happened here today. For this episode, I was able to dig in and learn all about an amazing artist whose work has become big business for the art market with a single sale that catapulted this artist into the top 25 most expensive works of art ever sold. Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. This season, season eight, we are exploring some of the most expensive artworks ever sold at auction and elsewhere, and are considering why they garnered so much money. And you may have noticed that the works that garnered the biggest bucks were typically created by dead white guys. These next two episodes are going to toss that narrative out the window. This is the story of the most expensive work sold at auction by an Asian artist, Chi Baiyishi. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. Chi Baiyishi was an exemplary, traditional Chinese artist who devoted his life to the ritual of the painting craft, an artist self-tasked with modernizing his nation's painting styles through a whimsical and roughly sketched manner of working. Though he might not be a familiar name to most Western audiences, Qi is nevertheless considered one of the top Chinese painters ever, who so clearly connects humanity to the prolific beauty of nature in these beautiful, small, everyday ways, a trait that won him the nickname of the Master of the Ordinary. Qi was content to paint his surroundings and the little details that brought him joy on his daily travels. So things like fish, insects, plants, flowers, and some figures, rather than imagined or contrived visual stories. And that's what is so fascinating about the story of Chibaishi, his commonplace subject matter that became the most expensive art ever sold at auction by someone from his home continent. 
Chi's humble background also stands in great contrast to the highs that his art would achieve in 2017. Born in Xiangtan, Hunan province in 1864, he came into his own in an intergenerational family, where Chi and his eight brothers and sisters were raised by both his parents and his grandparents. After attending school for only one year, he was then tasked with assisting his family as a cowherd before being apprenticed to a local carpenter at the age of 14. He stayed on, working as a carpenter for a few years, which was great because it helped him get established from a financial standpoint, something that became especially important after he got married at the age of 19 and began a family of his own. But after a couple more years, he came to the conclusion that, while it was nice to be financially stable, his job didn't bring him much joy or satisfaction. So he decided to make a change in his 20s when he taught himself to paint via referencing a guide to Chinese painting from the Qin Dynasty period, China's first imperial dynasty, which was way back around 220 years BCE, a guide called the Mustard Seed Garden Manual. Think briefly about the radicality of all of this, if you can. This isn't now that we're talking about. This is a guy in the mid-19th century in China deciding to just shrug off his dissatisfying job and deciding instead to teach himself to paint. The stakes were high, and the rate of failure certainly was too. But we already know that Qi didn't fail. Instead, he worked tirelessly to learn every aspect of his new trade. When he couldn't afford to hire models to learn how to paint the human figure, he instead drew pictures based off of local opera performers. And by 1888, his self-education was pretty complete. But even though his foundations were strong, he still needed more help. He needed a tutor, someone who was clearly trained in all the traditions of Chinese painting. So that year, 1888, he developed a relationship with Xiao Xianghai, the finest portrait painter in the area, who trained Qi alongside two others, Chen Xiaofan, who taught Qi the finer points of poetry and calligraphy, and Tu Pan, who schooled him on landscapes. By the 1890s, he felt comfortable enough with his abilities and his potential for making a living via painting that he then quit his job altogether. No more carpentry, all painting, all the time. And this timing could not have been better, because only a couple of years later, Qi's life took a massively positive turn. In 1894, Qi's life had this major upswing when he was introduced to a wealthy patron of the arts, a man by the name of Hu Qingwan. Hu Qingwan liked Qi's style, and so he sponsored his ongoing studies in both classical poetry and painting, particularly painting in what was then known as the Gongbi style of painting. With roots that reach all the way back to the Han Dynasty, approximately 2,000 years ago, Gongbi is one of the oldest Chinese painting styles. Its distinctive look comes together via the use of these very fine brushstrokes to delineate a subject in high detail with these thin washes of color for its backdrop. It's a highly refined technique, and one that values close observation and attention to realism over anything individualistic or expression. Even now, it's considered a very popular and important style of painting in China, and in Qi's time, it was even more so. 
So his patron's financial support allowed Chi to spend several years traveling across his vast country, studying landscape, flora, and fauna, as well as the art inspired by such landscapes, flora, and fauna. Like many who step out of their comfort zone to travel, Chi Baishi's voyages really changed him. Or, at the very least, they changed his art. On one of his trips, he visited a private collection of art in Guangxi, which is now an autonomous region but then was a Chinese province. In this collection, Chi discovered paintings by two particular artists, Xu Wei and Zhu Da, who were two painters who worked in the 16th and 17th centuries, respectively, whose art was created in the so-called Xie Yi mode. And apologies for my lack of proper Chinese pronunciation, everyone. I know that it is notoriously difficult to get right. Xie Yi roughly translates to thought sketches, which lends us a pretty clear sensation right off the bat of the appearance of such works. They were swift, expressive, showcasing ideas that flit across the mind like a butterfly, not the painted and pained and detailed observations of a scholar or a scientist. This freehand brushwork was typically created on a special kind of super-absorbent rice paper called shuan, and though it might sound simple, it was actually fairly rigorous in its own right. Xie Yi artists tasked themselves with detailing the spiritual and ephemeral qualities of nature and the human condition. So, you know, no big deal. Just trying to capture quickly the essence of life in some gorgeous brushstrokes here. La-di-da. This idea really shook Chi Baishi. He had spent so long studying and acting in the Gombi style, which was about as strict as Xie Yi was loose. And this new concept was freeing a sensation, and he opted to follow in the footsteps of these earlier masters, working in the Xie Yi style when it was no longer so popular. Naturally, such individuality ruffled some feathers along the way, and Chi Baishi's contemporaries would sometimes complain about his rebellious nature, grumbling at his lack of respect for ancient traditions and rules of landscape painting. And she grumbled right back, writing, quote, I am accused of unorthodoxy, but I pity this generation's stupidity, for they do not seem to realize that we all may have our unique qualities. I suppose future generations will admire our present artists just as much as we admire the man of old, unquote. In describing his preferred working style, he noted his mission succinctly, stating, quote, I don't imitate nature, I work like her." Unquote. Coming up, Chi Baishi makes a move and moves on up in the artistic stratosphere. Stay with us. Bloomberg Connects is the free smartphone app that lets you access museums, galleries, and cultural spaces around the world anytime and anywhere. An awesome way to connect to the art world you love right now from the comfort of your own home. The app takes a portfolio approach, offering access to many different cultural institutions through a single download. Bloomberg Connects offers users the chance to discover new cultural partners all over the world. 
Right now, guides are available for the Guggenheim Museum, the New York Botanical Garden, the Frick Collection, the Noguchi Museum, the Serpentine Galleries, and more, with new arts and cultural spaces being added all the time. Bloomberg Connects allows you to access digital guides, hear from artists, curators, and experts, and get the great stories behind the art. Download Bloomberg Connects today at the Apple App and Google Play stores or visit app.bloombergconnects.org slash artcurious. That's app.bloombergconnects.org slash artcurious. When the cold weather keeps us inside, one of my favorite ways to mentally escape is to curl up and get lost in a good show. I love to snuggle under a big blanket with a hot cup of tea and really immerse myself in a great story. And nothing feels more transportive when I'm stuck indoors than watching brilliant TV from across the pond. The plots, the costumes, the award-winning acting, the accents. There are so many reasons why I love Acorn TV. Acorn TV is a streaming service that's rooted in British television. It has a rich catalog of exclusive, award-winning series across genres, including mysteries, dramas, comedies, and so much more. From production to performances, the series you'll find on Acorn TV are exceptional because they're cleverly written, visually striking, and feature renowned actors like David Tennant and Fandi Newton. And as I've mentioned before, if you're a fan of quirky British comedy, then the other one is a must-watch. It follows two sisters from very different worlds who had no idea the other existed until their father drops dead. Plus, you'll get thousands of hours of new, refreshing content on Acorn TV for a fraction of the cost compared to most streaming services at just $5.99 a month. I love watching Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries on my Roku, which the New York Times lauds as having, quote, glam period style with clever cases and jazzy characters. So escape to Britain and beyond without leaving your seat. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and use my promo code ARTCURIOUS. That's A-C-O-R-N dot TV code ARTCURIOUS to get your first 30 days for free. Welcome back to Art Curious. The dawn of the 20th century found Chibayishi in midlife and looking for a change of pace, particularly as he was determined to continue to up his game and become even more successful as a professional painter. In 1911, he met his lifetime artistic patron and friend, Chen Shizeng, who was a painter and academic scholar residing in Beijing. Chen and Chi were like-minded in their artistic pursuits, so Qi opted, around 1917, to move permanently to Beijing, where Chen Shizeng was also based. And it was Chen and another friend, Hu Peihang, who worked closely and tirelessly to support their pal's career, especially in Beijing, whose clientele Qi Baishi found a little too conservative, once declaring, quote, People in Beijing did not like me. There simply was not a single person who had understood my paintings, unquote. But Chen and Hu knew, and they understood. So much so that, according to a Christie's catalog entry in 2015, Chen himself viewed an album of landscapes that she completed titled Jiashan Chu, or Paintings of Borrowed Mountains. Chen was then so dazzled by Qi's works that he proclaimed to Hu, quote, Jiashan Chu is so innovative that no average painter could have created it. It is such a pity that the ordinary people don't understand. We should help this old peasant painter by raising awareness of his paintings, unquote. And help they did. 
for whose part he wrote a text that translates to an appreciation of Chi Baishi's paintings, a work so important for understanding not only Baishi's painting techniques and iconography, but also gives the rough outlines of this artist's life too, and is still the primary document that we have to study the artist's works today, at least in English. And Chen helped Chi Baishi's career even more. First, Chen introduced him to the Shanghai School of Painting, which once again changed Qi's works for the better. Shanghai, at the end of the 19th century and into the beginning of the 20th, was a very international city, a hub between East and West in a way that Beijing most definitely was not at that point. Under British influence after their victory in the First Opium War, it became extraordinarily wealthy, and many Chinese elite relocated to the glittering city to enjoy its many riches. And just like now, the elite wanted the most cutting-edge works they could find to decorate their homes and estates in Shanghai. And this is where the Shanghai School of Painting came into being, a very smart reaction to a changing market that sought to redefine the concepts of cool in art. For both the artists and the patrons of the Shanghai School, it looked a lot like what Shibaishi was already gravitating toward, which was fewer narrative scenes, no symbolic content, super expressive brushstrokes, and less adherence to the traditional ways of painting. And most of all, they were really excited about brighter palettes of sparkling color. So Chi diversified his palette even further, abstracted his designs a little bit more, and with that, his work in the second half of his life became far more coveted. By the 1920s, Chi Baishi had become a truly prolific painter, receiving both national and international acclaim. In 1922, his good friend Chen acted as Chi's art dealer, bringing Chi's works to an art exhibition in Tokyo, where they truly made a remarkable splash. Every single one of his paintings at that show sold entering both public and private collections, with two of his works even reaching Paris, where all things East Asian had been in vogue for the last half century. For many, the primary enticement of Chi's works was the poetic way he approached his subjects. He hinted at the subject matter more than blatantly revealing it. He depicted flowers, birds, frogs, shrimp, insects, and fish, and plants, everything, in an appealing, abstract fashion. About his approach, Chi noted, quote, The excellence of painting lies in its being alike, yet unalike. Too much likeness flatters the vulgar taste. Too much unlikeness deceives the world. Unquote. After years of self-educating, of striving to find more patrons and mentors, Chi had finally made it, and his gentle, spirited everyday scenes became the talk of the town. What's awesome about Chi Baishi's career is that not only did he make it big towards the end of his lifetime, but the greatest accolade ever bestowed upon him, some may say, didn't arrive until more than 50 years after his death at the age of 93 in 1957. In December 2017, a series of landscape paintings titled, wait for it, 12 Landscape Paintings, hit the auction block in Beijing. 12 Landscape Paintings, created in 1925, is one of the largest painting sets that the artist ever produced at the peak of his career. 
Each of the screens measures about 71 inches by 18 and a half inches, which is pretty large for sure. And they all highlight the astounding beauty of the varied landscapes that Qi experienced during his extensive travels throughout China at midlife. In nearly every landscape, Qi created a perfect union between the natural world and human presence by marrying majestic skies, mountains, rivers, and trees with houses, bridges, and boats. So there's a beautiful balance of land and people. His expressive brushstrokes and dynamic colors are accompanied by calligraphic, self-composed poetic inscriptions. And truly, it is a stunning collection of objects and one of the only 12-panel, large-scale sets produced by Chi Baishi. The only other one in existence was produced in 1932 for Sichuan military commander Wang Xuanshu and is currently located at the Three Gorges Museum in Chongqing, China. For something similar to have come available on the art market was a revelation. And it showed because Chi Baishi's 12 landscape screens sold at auction house Poly Beijing for a record price of $140.8 million. This unprecedented price surpassed other members of the so-called $100 million club, the select group of artists whose works have sold at auction or elsewhere for that fabled nine-figure sum or more. These are typically big names and mostly white male and Western artists, so people like Andy Warhol, Vincent van Gogh, and Pablo Picasso. The purchase price for 12 landscape screens surpassed the previous auction record for Chi's own works, too, which were nothing to laugh at either. Just the year prior, in December 2016, Chi's works had garnered a sum of $28 million. And now, he was among the extraordinary elite for whom the art world clamored. The rest of this story is coming up next, right after this break. Stay with us. If you like podcasts like this one, then you'll enjoy experiencing immersive stories in an audio format. So that's why I'm sure you'll love Kobo Audiobooks. Kobo has a huge catalog of audiobooks that will allow you to add more literature to your life. Now you can listen to a book while you multitask, like when you're cooking dinner or doing laundry. And with the free Kobo app, you have access to your listening library anywhere and at any time. Kobo has a huge catalog of audiobooks, including bestsellers and originals across all genres. And your audiobook collection is yours forever, even if you cancel. That's all great on its own, but right now, things are even better because you could win $3,000 with Kobo Audiobooks. And all you need to do is start your free audiobook trial. You can earn up to three chances to win. One when you start your free Kobo Audiobook trial between December 1st, 2020 and January 31st, 2021. One additional entry when you download your first audiobook as part of the trial. And one additional entry when you complete listening to your first audiobook as part of the free trial during that same sweepstakes period. 
After your free trial, it's only $12.99 per month for one monthly credit, and you can choose an audiobook from our catalog regardless of list price. Should you be interested in further expansion of your art knowledge, Kobo is there for you with biography, memoir, and nonfiction audiobooks of artists, architects, and photographers. Discover more about the lives of Leonardo da Vinci, Frida Kahlo, Picasso, and many more. And ahem, ahem, you can also check out my book, Art Curious, on Kobo and hear me read it aloud to you. So what are you waiting for? To get started, visit kobo.com slash artcurious. That's K-O-B-O dot com slash artcurious. Start listening to Kobo audiobooks today. Please note that the Wind with Kobo sweepstakes is only for residents 18 and older in the United States, United Kingdom, and Canada, excluding Quebec. If you're using anything other than Indeed for your hiring, you are wasting your time. Hire great people faster with Indeed. Only pay for results and get back time into your schedule. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates instantly with Indeed Instant Match. So you can do the part you really need faster, meeting and hiring great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, which allows you to have a quality short list of candidates faster. With Indeed, there are no long-term contracts. You can pause your account at any time, and you only pay for what you need. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database to help you show great candidates instantly. And with Instant Match, you'll see a list of great candidates with zero weight. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. So right now, our listeners will get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash art. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Remember, you can get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash art. Indeed.com slash art. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Art Curious. It surely would have amused Chibaishi, perhaps bringing him a kind of gratification to know that his artwork, which was then little understood or admired during most of his lifetime, would become so cherished, especially in his own country. Though the purchaser of 12 landscape screens wasn't made public knowledge, the helmsman of the sale at Poly Beijing did confirm that the majority of the bidders were located in mainland China. His home, it seems, now treasured him as much as we in the U.S. might treasure our own American greats, like Georgia O'Keeffe, Jasper Johns, Jackson Pollock, and others. In fact, while most of us might not know his name or be familiar with his works, in China, Chi Baishi is referred to, quite lovingly, as the Picasso of China. One final lovely note is that Chi Baishi didn't die a total unknown or a fully unappreciated genius. In the final years of his life, Qi was honored by the Chinese Ministry of Culture as one of the most outstanding artists of their time, as well as an incredible humanitarian who also worked tirelessly for peace. In 1954, he was selected as a delegate to attend the first National Peace Congress, and then, at the age of 90, Qi Baishi was honored with the title of the People's Artist in China. But the greatest achievement he received not including the inclusion in that $100 million club, is that he was awarded the World Peace Council's International Peace Award, similar to the Nobel Peace Prize. Nothing to sneer at, especially for an artist. 
coming up in two weeks. It's the last episode of season eight, and I am very much looking forward to premiering this particular woman's works. Be sure not to miss it. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel, with additional writing and research help by Arena Novak. Our theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our logo is by Dave Rainey at daverainydesign.com. Audio production services are provided by Kabunki, the silliest name in superb podcasts and video. Let them help you at kabonki.com. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchorlight. Anchorlight is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. Home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, Anchorlight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit anchorlightraleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator. As always, please feel free to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to get other people listening in too. And for more details about our show, including an image of the work of art mentioned today, please visit our website, artcuriouspodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at artcuriouspod. Check back with us in two weeks as we premiere the season finale of the unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful in the most expensive works ever sold in art history. Music